Welcome to We Call It Soccer, a podcast by two United fans. I'm Notch. I'm Sasha. And I'm Caleb. This week, Courage Stay on Top, Dom Dwyer does something dire. And is is that a Adidas load getting smaller? Or is that a bag of coins in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> that's, me, that's me wiping down my glasses. You guys noticed our intros are getting longer in COVID times. Used to be we should just say something, but now on Zoom, we always add a few additional. We improvise. I like it. Uh, soon we should start playing whose line is it anyway games on this podcast, and you know, st- forget the soccer. We'll just we'll just do improvisational comedy. Oh, we haven't just been doing that before. <laughs> Wait, you guys take notes? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and. We will, uh, <laughs> so okay, you, ha, have you guys watched a lot of Who's Line? Yes. Yeah, I used to love that show. I watched okay. so much of it. Dumb question, right? Dumb question. So, what's your favorite? This week's question is: What's your favorite Who's Line is it anyway? Game. Ooh. I'll I'll go first. How about yeah, this? Because I just yeah. read a ranking of all forty-two. Whose line is it anyway? Games <laughs> from the original show. <laughs> <Holy crap>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite was always props. It was like I don't know something about like the random crap they would get out of the box and the stuff that they would do. And personally, I didn't really like the singing song games very much. So like, in my opinion, the props were some of the best uh, best games that they did. It was hilarious. I liked when they got like those suggestions on notes from the crowd, right? And oh, they have wow. to like act it out, and then people have to jump in and out of the scene. Yeah. Scene from a hat. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. Thank right, you. Right, right, um, right. That was great. I really like enjoyed the uh, the newsroom one. Oh right, yeah. Newscast. New yeah. Where the guy standing in front of the chroma <clears throat> key, and he, there's something he can't see in the no, background. No, no, and- no, 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 no. When they were a newscast. When they oh, were the okay. newscast. When like Colin and. Usually the rotating guy was the were the anchors. Uh, Wayne was usually sports, and then Ryan was weather. And, but right, the okay, co-anchor yep. Ryan was always good and, on that. And sports personnel always had like different things, and just Colin was a straight man. And he'd always have a weird name too. <laughs> my name is Pierre. Cause my bladder's empty. Welcome to the evening news. <laughs> is the new whose line any good? I haven't watched I it. What what is network TV? Do people still watch that? I I don't know what TV is anymore. You know, if it wasn't for COVID, I would have no idea. You know, I, I went into the room. There was this big black orb with moving images on it. It started speaking to me, and it was weird, guys. It was very weird. Let me tell you. Um, we should get I, to talk about soccer. Can I just yeah. say, yeah. Caleb? I, uh, it was the best pun that Colin ever did on that game. I liked. Our top story today, convicted hitman Jimmy Two-Shoes McClarity confessed today that he was once hired to beat a cow to death in a rice field using only two small porcelain figurines. Police admit this may be the first known case of a knick-knack paddywhack. <laughs> uh, final question about whose line, actually. We can all agree that hoedowns suck. Yes, please. No? No. <laughs> oh, shit. I hated hoedowns. I loved hoedowns. Fuck, I guess this is the end of the podcast. We can't go on after I, this. I always knew it would like this. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Thank you, as always, to our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash fans. There for the low, 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 low price of $3 a month, you can join our Slack, where we have awesome discussions, sometimes kind of infuriating when we see USL teams flouting COVID restrictions. Uh, for $5 a month, you get additional in-depth content. This week, we'll be talking a little bit extra about Minnesota United's game against Sporting KC. And if you go even higher, there are other levels that you can you can join. One of which forces me to say good stuff on the podcast. Costs thousand dollars a month, but I will say good stuff on the podcast about Atlanta United. I think that's worth it uh, for all of us. So, so go ahead, give give us on this podcast twelve thousand dollars a year, and force me to say good things about Atlanta United. That is my price of selling out. So Patreon.com/slash Two United Fans. Um, as always, please tell your friends to listen to this podcast as well. We appreciate having more listeners. Now, let's move into the first segment of our show called Bad Guys. Yes, a segment where we discuss American soccer's bad guys, the two top divisions, MLS and NWSL. Let's, uh, let's, let's first talk about NWSL, where the Challenge Cup is about to enter the knockout stages of the tournament, which is kind of funny because... There, no one got knocked out uh, going into the knockout from a group to knockout because Orlando Pride already left. Eight teams are going to go out of nine. We're going to go into the knockout stage. Well, there are only eight teams in the tournament left. So here we go. Uh, first game, Utah Royals playing Sasha's old rain. Uh, the rain coming out 1-0 winners. Turns out the rain can win in the Challenge Cup. Yeah, but it only takes them 91 minutes. Mind you, it was a great ball from Yuka Momiki in and Bosser heads it in and... They get three points, even if it's late. Balser with the Ike Opara-style headband on her head uh, as well, I should note. I don't know what they're called. Are they scrum? They're not scrum caps. They're, are they rugby hats? What, what it gives a plus two to heading and plus one, ah. plus one to charisma. You, you joke about that, but I think it does give a plus two to heading because like, Ike was just nailing them last year with that thing on. <laughs> Uh, soon we'll all be wearing them and then you can suspend a mask from them too okay uh, moving on to Sky Blues to Houston Dash I feel like both these teams some of our dark hearts picks for this tournament uh, Sky Blues finally beating the Dash 2-0 uh, first goal comes from Paige Monahan. Uh, Onamanu sends the ball through the Dash defense uh, Monahan makes a great run behind behind the, the defense there and Jane Campbell comes out gets rounded on goal Sky Blues in the 17th minute. Just 17 more minutes later, Kawasumi sees Jin Campbell out of the box and sends an awesome chip from 40 yards out. It's always beautiful to get a goal or two like that each season. All right, uh, let's talk about Washington Spirit playing the Dash just four days after the Dash's previous game. This kind of surprised me seeing uh, a team play uh, back-to-back like that. And uh, the first goal from Billy Feist, 16 minutes in. And the only goal. 16 minutes in. Uh, Jane Campbell, so far this tournament, has given up six goals. Um, whether that's a more of an indictment on her or her defense, I'm not too sure about. Uh, Sasha, do you have any input on that? I think it, I think it's more on the Houston Dash's defense. Because they had that 3-3 game to open it up against the Utah Royals, and they were ahead. But it's clear that they have some problem problems in the back four. The interesting thing about the dash also I will add is that Rachel Daly and Shea Groom are both in the top goal scorers in second place with two goals uh, for the dash at the at the moment, um, which is interesting considering 
the fact that the dash as you say Caleb have also been kind of um porous in their in their back line as well so. kind of reminds you of a different Houston team who can score a lot and also give up goals <laughs> hmm. we'll get to that <laughs> yeah Chicago Red Stars playing the Royals coming out one nil winners the Red Stars uh Casey Short getting the goal in the 85th minute Castadia Cup up next. Unfortunately for Sasha, the old rain tied the Portland Thorns nil-nil. Portland Thorns are really not doing so well in this tournament. Um, but spoiler alert, they're in the eighth seed. So the championship last year of the Courage and the Thorns will be in the quarterfinals. Uh, this, this game also uh, took rain. Even though they didn't score any goals, the one point took them from seventh to third. So that just shows how <laughs> close the table was. Holy cow. And yet, like, even though the, both these teams, which you kind of would thought would be strong, have been very unimpressive in this stage. Yeah. I will say, Caleb, you made the same mistake I did, and you might make that mistake because I put it on the two United fans' feed for a few minutes. Uh, the Courage played the Red Stars in last year's championship. They played the oh, Thorns yeah, the year right. previous in 2018. So... Uh, I had to look this up after I tweeted it because I was tweeted it 10 minutes later. I was like, shit, I fucked that up, didn't I? And then, uh, yes, I did. Uh, they are actually going to be facing the Thorns, the the Courage. The first seed plays the eighth seed, so the thorn, so 2018 final in the NWS quarterfinals of 2020. Uh, the other matchups are Dash versus the Royals, Spirit versus Sky Blues, and Old Rain versus the Red Stars. Hopefully, again, we'll have Rachel Krieger on the show Maybe before the championship game to look back at this tournament and talk a little bit about uh, what she's seen from it. That number one seed, the, the Courage, did beat Sky Blue in their last game of the, of the group stage through two goals from Sam Mewis and Crystal Dunn. Um, they just looked dominant. I think we were watching the highlights, and the Sky Blue had one shot on net, and that was in the stoppage time set in half, and the announcer said, like, that was their best chance of the entire game. And it's just got to be so disheartening to play Nine plus minutes and have one shot on target near the very end, and that that's it. The courage is just dominant. And, and that's not of... saying that sky blue is bad. Like, no, this the, the this rebuilding has helped them out. They definitely look way better than they did last year. But the courage are just unstoppable. Uh, speaking of that unstoppability, Lynn Williams coming out of the group stage as top goal scorer with three goals. Uh, those quarterfinals also on the seventeenth and eighteenth of July which maybe have already happened after what well, before when you listen to this. So, anyway, let's move on to talking about Millis. So, I'm going to call them now Millis. <laughs> um, you know, the MLS wasn't annoying enough, so I need, needed something new. And hey, let's uh let's we, we finally got to watch some live MLS soccer. Um I I think all of us have our like ah! face when we're watching and it's just kind of like, you know, you're watching a, a, a kind of you're not sure. The bus is on the road. There's no railing. There's a huge cliff and the bus is slowly going down. And you're like, is the bus going to fall off the road? We don't know. But it started. And uh, the road turned out to be two soccer fields uh, in, in Orlando that have a lot of digital ad boards, which um, if you see an aerial shot during a game, they, they'll show you the stadium next door where games are also filmed on. And you can see the blank ad boards because when you're watching a match itself... 
uh, those digital ad boards that are dark blue in color are replaced with local sponsors for each of the teams, MLS sponsors. They're color-coded so you know which team is playing in which half. It's kind of interesting, new thing. Uh, Caleb, in the intro to this podcast, you referenced that giant Adidas logo that's in the middle of the pitch. Uh, technically contravenes FIFA laws, but shh. Um, and there's also the Jumbotrons that show f- videos of, I think, live videos of fans. It's unclear to me if those are actually like transmitted in the stadium. I think they're only uh, visible on TV. I don't think the players can see them. But like occasionally you'll see a kid jumping up and down. I saw one where a player was like, uh, where a fan on the couch was complaining about something that just happened, and the person next to them on the couch had to be like, "Shh, stop doing that! Like, <laughs> you're on TV now," <laughs> and uh, and had to stop a tantrum. How do you? How, what What are your reactions to this, guys? The for opening match, if that's what we're gonna go with, kind of left me feeling cringy. But I mean, I was very skeptical about this whole tournament to begin with. But, but like, the, the stadium experience, and you're looking in, and it's just, like, covered in sponsor logos, the Jumbotron, like, is, it, this isn't, it's not like any soccer I've seen yet. Even the worst of the NASL, I think, was more traditional of a, of a soccer. This looks more like, you know, FIFA 98 had an indoor mode, or, like, FIFA's, like, training pitch. It kind of looks like that to me. Yeah, I'd agree. It also kind of, like, makes you think of, like, basketball, where they throw as many sponsors as possible in adverts. In your face. You want yeah. to utilize every inch. It, it, Tatum didn't used to, but by the Minnesota United game, I was just kind of just in the background. He just kind of don't notice it anymore. It's kind of fun when they see they do the overhead shots of the of the pitch and you, the video boards are gone. Yeah. Um, Another interesting thing, Caleb, is the mics that are embedded in the turf. You can very clearly hear on the ESPN broadcast, at least, which don't have the crowd noise that the Fox broadcast do. You can clearly hear what the players are saying. You can hear the referees telling players back off if you do that one more time. Like, you can hear the stuff that is happening. You can hear coaches shout. Um, believe, how's that been for you? I've heard uh, mixed reactions. Yesterday, I was watching the Portland and the Doughty game, and the announcer said... These players are versed in two of th- at least two of three languages, uh, English, Spanish, and profanity. <laughs> and I thought it was very well put. And it, it's very interesting because you'll hear stuff, and I usually hear the goalkeeper yell into the back line or the defender yell to keep their shape, and stuff you don't notice when you're at the game or watching on TV during you know normal times. Then the, then compare that to the Fox Sports. Which their their mitch is bad for one, so like it seems like the announcers are quieter than the crowd noise. It's just odd. So okay. right now I'm team no crowd noise. I I did enjoy hearing what the referee was saying during a VAR check, where he you could hear what the referee is trying to look at because he's talking to the people in his ear and saying like, "Oh, show me again that shoulder being close mm-hmm. to the ball," and I think to me that if, if they take anything out of this and keep it. That's the thing I would keep. Like, can we please hear more of what the referee is saying? Uh, we don't need like a live feed, but it would be nice to like when he, when he, when the ref talks to a player or the captain talks to the ref to know what they're saying. So, uh, another thing that has I think been consistent game across game is a major push to recognize Black Lives Matter, um, to have symbolic shows of support. 
um, for BLM, for the Black Players Coalition. This started with the Orlando Intergame, where every single black player in the league, or at least those who chose to participate, were there, uh, raised their fists in the air for 8 minutes, 40, 46 seconds. The two teams were lined up. All the other players from the other teams were in in groups by team uh, raising their fists you've probably seen pictures of that but basically every single game has had some sort of recognition the jerseys also on the back underneath the numbers have a small white strip where players can put personal messages um and those have gen generally been in support of causes as well so that's also been something that that's been um an interesting new development uh with with the league what are your guys' reaction to that i'm glad that the league is cooperating with the black players coalition and allowing them to get as much publicity out of this as they can and they really do deserve the spotlight um putting the white tags on the jerseys i think is great so far every message i've seen has been great i, I love the abolish ice one we saw last night yeah it's i've been enjoying it and enjoying seeing the demonstrations done by the uh black players coalition and also the support they've received from their teammates um yeah it's all been good so far um in the philadelphia game they did also replaced their last names in their jerseys with the na last names of black citizens who were killed by police without telling mls until right before kickoff so I think that was the right idea as well. Um, just well done from the players all around. I I believe I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any uh, players like push back against the message that the uh, Black Players Coalition is trying to send, um, which is very good. Justin Morrow on the Orlando Inter game was uh, interviewed during the halftime. One leaders of the VPC and saying that the league has been very engaged in the conversations and while he's very happy with what's happened so far there is a further distance to go and and more actions needed i think symbolism is important i think we it, it is an obvious sign to other people what is appropriate in our society so I'm not, I'm not saying symbolism isn't important but now i think it comes down to action and what uh happens after this you know after this tournament how are black players supported are front offices getting more diverse are we going to see more black coaches and technical staff in the league i think all of those things are follow-ups beyond this right uh kind of moment so i think that's what is i think the next logical step so we'll see where where things go in our league um from here i will also recognize you know just what seven eight nine months ago we were talking about the whole iron front thing and how that was a huge controversy political messaging in mls <laughs> and whether it was <laughs> something the league wanted to ban here we fucking are so um I, I i think some of those conversations primed what has happened here today so i'm i'm I, I'm with you, Caleb. I'm, I'm glad to see it. So let's talk about the games. Orlando played Inter-Miami 2-1. Uh, the game, uh, very boring first half of this game, if you will agree with me, guys, um, on that. Yeah, absolutely. And then things kind of kicked off a little bit in the second half. Yeah, uh, goals from Juan Adudelo for Miami, who I forgot was there. And then <laughs> response from Orlando, uh, goals from Chris Mueller in the 70th minute and Nani in the 90th plus 7 minute uh, to win it. Um story of this match really isn't the, isn't the um, win for Orlando. It's the actions of one of the players, Dom Dwyer, who had already 
throwing his body into Andres Reyes, center back for Miami, a couple times, elbowing him in the back and the and taking his legs out from underneath him. In the second half, he elbowed him in the throat. Now, why the placement of the elbow was most likely um, unintentional, the fact that Dom Dwyer threw the elbow was intentional, um, I I believe. And you can come at me on Twitter if you don't believe that, at Olson 716 I'll just tell you you're stupid and you're wrong. Um, if there's a, a diff of it, they showed it only once on the screen and on the TV and then showed just him laying on the ground for 10 plus minutes and which was probably the most horrifying injury I've seen at a live sporting event. Um, but he looks back and then he looks back towards the ball and then throws the elbow up. Now, Reyes was moving, but he knew what he was doing in throwing that elbow. Whether he wanted to hit him in the chest or the throat, doesn't matter. He was going to hit Andres Reyes with that elbow, and he did. Unfortunately for both of them, it was in the throat, and it caused Reyes to collapse to the ground and struggle to breathe, which then was followed by the EMS trying to figure out how to get around the ad boards with the stretcher, and Juan Ardadello grabbing the stretcher as once they were on the pitch and dragging it towards his teammate as they were walking to the injured player. Um, all around terrible showing from the medical staff, really, um, with no uh, urgency whatsoever yeah. in a player who was visibly in duress. In, in greater duress than I've ever seen any players. Like, I've seen players, like, in worse condition, like, knocked out cold, um, obviously. But this was hard. I was, I, I mean, I will also call out the the people who were operating the, who were producing the show for showing us repeated shots of Rhea struggling to breathe. Like, that could have been in the commentator's feed and it didn't need to be shown to the people at home. You know, right. on F1, for example, they'll put a they'll put a fabric barrier between the cameras and the car if they're extracting a driver from a really bad crash. And that's the kind of such thing that needs to be done in this. Nobody needed to see that. And um, I will also say that multiple, multiple people on Twitter who are much smarter than any of us are in terms of analyzing the game and knowing about Dom Dwyer's history, saying that Dwyer has a history of lazy arms being thrown out, whacking people, you know, unintentionally. And it's 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 to the point where he really should know better. And this is the time that something serious has happened with that. Um, and, I mean, it just underscores why Minnesota United fans didn't want to see him anywhere near our team when it was rumored that we were going to pick him up. So I'm, I'm glad that we didn't have to endure that. Uh, let's talk about New York City FC playing Philadelphia Union. The Union coming out 1-0 winners. Uh, Caleb, you mentioned the gesture that uh, the Union did to support BLM by changing the names on their kits before this game. Uh, the goal in this game coming in 63rd minute, Ali Badoya gets a ground shot that Sean Johnson gets a hand to but cannot stop. And uh, apparently... The Union were the better team, or New York City FC were the better team for about 60 minutes, but uh, the game changing in uh, in the balance there after that goal. Um, New York City FC hadn't scored a MLS goal all season until tonight when they went down fighting 3-1 to Orlando. But we that game happened as we were recording, so we're not going to be able to cover it for you. Go watch it or something. I don't know. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, I will say it is kind of. Uh, oh, sorry to interrupt. No, no. keep going. Well, yeah, it's kind of the icing on the cake that Bedoya got gets the opening goal for his team and the winning goal. Uh, I I kind of loved him last year after he was outspoken with that hot mic against gun violence. So it's cool to see players uh, 
who are activists also also win. Speaking of activism, Montreal played New England Revolution. Thierry Henry taking a knee for 8 minutes and 46 seconds at the beginning of this match. Revolution coming out 1-0 winners. And not because of Christian Penis. Pania misses the far post by an inch. <laughs> and, uh, you know... His pania was one inch too short. Or Revolution's pania, one inch too short. How about that? Story of his life. Uh, just have a bow with a goal for New England and the winner from outside the box. Uh, just mesmerizes the Montreal defense with his movement. Loves him to uh, sleep and fires it in. Good goal from him. Next game, a nil-nil draw between Seattle and San Jose. Sasha getting all of the annoyance with both his beloved teams uh, this week. Can you can you tell uh, us about this game? <laughs> Not much to say. Like San Jose was the better team. They had most of the possession and controlled the tempo. Uh, honestly, Stephen Fry was the best player for Seattle. He came up big to keep it, you know, nil nil. Abaro looked good, but that's mostly because he was playing back doing defense uh, that Gustav Svensson wasn't. And um, that is, I think, the really most important thing in any Seattle game is how Miguel Ibar has played. So thanks yeah. to this podcast, it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to the greater Twin um, Cities area. Yeah. Let's talk about Atlanta playing New York Red Bulls. And before we discuss this, let me get some towels, a little bit of Astroglide. In uh, fact, can you, you know, please turn your video off? This. Please turn your video <laughs> off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got fevered texts uh, at the beginning of this game saying, Woo! Red Bulls in the lead. And I looked at my phone and I was like, This is awesome. I was up north. As it so happens in Lake Malax, I was getting one bar of coverage on a 3G network, which was not enough for anything more than just text. I couldn't see any images. You know, Twitter was popping up without uh, profile pictures. It's the most I have suffered in this whole pandemic, people. It was horrible. Pour one out for my suffering without internet. Anyway, so that happened. And then I was like, all right, that's great. Good, but I'm, you know, on a, at a cabin. I'm celebrating my partner's birthday, and I'm going to not pay attention to my phone. Cue a text from my neighbor, Scott. Uh, I think it must have been like two and a half hours after that. And Scott is looking after our cats while we're gone. So we're like, holy crap, is everything okay? And I open the text, and it's like, yo, where the fucking crabs? And that's not what Scott said. <laughs> I'm I, he said the Twitter, something to the effect of the Twitter people are asking for crabs. And if you know the United Fans Twitter account, you know that it always posted crabs last year. And I wanted to, like, leave crabs as, like, a 2019 thing. Like, no crabs in 2020. Uh, but the people want crab, people. People want crab. And that, which is why I'm glad this administration has allowed lobster fishing off the coast of Maine that wasn't banned before. But they've allowed it because they might catch some crabs in the net and I can put out crabs for the people. What a weird endorsement of Trump. Right? You know me. Uh, and uh, anyway, Red Bull's winning this 1-0. Hooray. Good guys win. Atlanta going home, hopefully. Uh, not in knockouts, I hope. Uh, but uh, too early to tell. Uh, but if they get scored on Valot, <laughs> uh, they might go home, which would be great. Florin Valot getting the goal, fourth minute. Yeah. Trying to counter attack Joel, released from the defense, and... Finish one and one. Brad is on. Uh, did have a few saves in here to keep it close, but yeah, it was all near Red Bulls. And then once they got late into the day, they kind of bunched down, and Atlanta had no answers offensively. Caleb, you watched the hell is real derby, as far as I know. 
Is hell in fact real? And where is it? Columbus or Cincinnati? It's Cincinnati's defense. Mm. Just constantly been barraged by balls. Uh, soccer balls, to be exact. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no paneers and <laughs> no. on their faces. He's new England. So He's far away from no, on the pitch. <laughs> um, four goals in this match. Two on either side of halftime. Uh, two goals from Jesse's artist. And he just sort of brace against you. You know you're a shit team. Uh, Cincinnati... I think you tweeted out from the main accounts that they were banned from the tournament, not for COVID, but just for being bad. And they should probably just like, <laughs> we should probably go. Yeah. Yunus Mokhtar getting the fourth goal in this game and an assist uh, uh, on Lucas, second. Lucas Elevarion's free kick goal. This, to start the scoring was... Uh, uh, inch perfect. That inch was taken from Pandia to and given to Lucas Elrion's shot. Yeah, glorious. Yep. And of course, as you mentioned before, Giassi getting the brace, which some people tell me is two goals. That's oh. two goals, not Some people okay, thank, too. thank you. Maybe right. Deva. All right. Uh, let's now move into a segment. That, uh, sorry, please. Should we call ourselves your... Brace United fans on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, you'll confuse me. I won't know which, uh, <laughs> what it means. Uh, let's move into a segment that we call Some Might Say. In this segment, we talk about Minnesota United FC and find a few things we might want to say about them. Minnesota United opening their MLS's back tournament by playing against SKC. Minnesota United coming out 2-1 winners... Uh, in this game, uh, we'll mention that uh, Amaria in the lineup to start the game, or to, to, to like uh, in, in the initial lineup, but injured in warm-up, something to do with the groin, I believe. Toy replaced him in there. Um, Keir Shelton opens the scoring for SKC. Things looked dire for Minnesota United. Yeah, it really didn't look like we were doing anything offensively. And... I think the way we were set up was this was for Luis Amaria. He and Toy are very different players. Um, you probably tell that the team had to practice with Luis, and they looked a lot more fluid with him in the lineup. And back in March, um, uh, Toy got unfortunately got subbed off with a hip injury. It looked pretty painful when he walked off. Uh, no update on him as of yet that I could find. Um, once Aaron Schoenfeld came on to the pitch, he, he was a game changer. He was the target man slash hold up play striker that Angelo never could have been or never was for us. I sh- and maybe, maybe hold up play can stop being one of my trigger words. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully with Aaron. <laughs> um, but he changed the game. He immediately rattled the crossbar with a shot, um, and eventually led to probably the, the to the turning point of the match when uh, while shielding the ball driving into the penalty area that was taken down by Tim Melia. And that was just great body positioning by Aaron Schoenfeld there. And it, it he, he was a game changer. It's weird to say, like, who's a game changer on Miss United? And you're like, thinking, oh, probably Molino or Finley and or maybe even Ozzy. All these stars that we, or the stars that we signed. It's like, oh, yeah, this six foot i don't know five guy who was playing in israel for five past, past, the past five years 
yeah, he's no, he's the game changer in this game. And um, so he just sent off. Between Ondol, Vitaria, Shelton ties it up. Melia gets sent off. Yeah, Melia gets sent off. Not Shelton. That'd be nuts. <laughs> hey, you fell down way too hard. The guy ran into you from behind. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> no, and then Kevin Molino scored the game winner off of a Raheem Edwards kind of uh, deflection or pass to keep it in off of a cross from Metonair. Uh, 90, 90 plus 7th minute. Um, really the game should end at 3-1 to one, in my opinion Finley did have one in the back of the net on a corner but Molina was judged to be offside after a VAR check I still haven't seen a clear and obvious Molino is offsides picture yeah. if you want you can listen to our in-depth discussion of this game in our Patreon uh, exclusive on our Patreon which you can access using the $5 tier of our of our Patreon. All right, let's move on to talking about RSL versus Colorado. And uh, again, go listen to our in-depth episode if you can, because it's kind of fun. We just recorded it. I enjoyed that very much, guys. <laughs> um, RSL beating Colorado Rapids 2-0. I w- did not see this coming. I thought Colorado was better than that. Uh, I'm the same trend that you were. I was like, oh, yeah, Colorado, Robin Fraser. Didn't like what I saw from RSL in the, the two games, you know, seven years ago that I watched. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Colorado, I, uh, pure win. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Just, yeah. Corey Baird nearly opened up the scoring in the sixth minute as a bad return from uh, Clint Irvin led to a chance that hit the bar. And uh turns out that was kind of the way that this game was set to go. Clint Irvin making mistake after mistake. Uh, he again failed to hold on to the ball uh, just a few minutes later. Uh, in the 27th minute, Albert Ruznak gets a deflected pass uh, into his path, uh, deflected by none other than Flynn Irvin, and the shot went through Irvin and another defender behind him to end up in the back of the net. So uh, here we go. Uh, later on, Lalas Abubakar making a huge awareness mistake he wasn't aware that Douglas Martinez was running up behind him it's a ball that he sees going to Clint Irwin Lalas does thinks okay the keepers got it we're in the clear doesn't make an attempt on the ball Douglas Martinez interrupts uh, leaves Clint Irwin to basically roll through Martinez uh, Irwin only managing to get a yellow not a clear dog so apparently and uh, RSL getting a penalty Clint Irvin then making up a little bit for his previous mistakes by making a massive double save of both Ruznark and Basler to keep uh, the score to 1-0. Unfortunately, in the 76th minute, Damir Krylock uh, managing to get that second goal uh, on a layup from Ruznak and knocking it low to the far post. Uh, Caleb, uh, interestingly, coach Robin Frazier on the air as as the, the goal went in. The seven, the seven twice in the past couple of games were because Fox Sports one right who will talk to a, a coach while their the game is going on and then if you're a coach don't talk to the announcers it's bad luck apparently because as he was talking Derek Carlock just drills one to the bottom corner and not just like sorry we had you on the mic there Robin uh, whoops. <laughs> Anyway, he just got away from him immediately. <laughs> Robin Fraser just holding it to him, being like, "Don't say fuck, don't say fuck, don't say fuck." Cut his mic. Cut his uh, mic. 
was, speaking of cutting mics, though, it was funny. We didn't mention this. In that Minnesota game, they interviewed uh, Vermees in the first half, right? And his audio didn't come through at all. So you just see, saw him facing the camera, like, mouthing things and making mannerisms. <laughs> Ooh, I love trades. Yeah. Uh, Toronto FC playing DC United in a game that had been delayed by two days due to a false COVID positive. Uh, that delay actually kind of controversial because one of the two teams actually showed up to the stadium before the match was called off. Uh, that stuff should not be happening according to the protocol. Uh, I will add that uh, today MLS has uh, shown in their news that they have zero positives at the moment, so good for them. Uh, this game ending 2-2, Toronto and DC getting two goals. Yeah, uh, Io Akinola with uh, two in the first. That's a brace, notch. Um, first half for Toronto. Oh, I was confused. Um, a second goal, fantastic. Uh, worked by Pozuelo to get away from the defenders and find the wide open Atanola who just tapped it in for the easiest goal of his career. Uh, second half looked even worse for DC as Moreno sent off after a second yellow um, after a bad fall against Marty Delgado. Federico Higuain who I had forgotten had been traded even though it happened only weeks ago uh, and uh, decided to play for DC managing to get the 84th minute goal you wonder if that sort of thing happens because you know he's a big game player and he's able to come through in tough situations like this um and uh i would say it's because toronto subbed off both their center backs and put on two traffic cones one of them named lawrence amon and the other one i don't remember who but it's all due to lawrence amon bad pass that got intercepted and then can't keep up with Federico Hidwain, who is 35 years old. Like, come on, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That is, I mean, we saw a lot of bad defending, and I think that is the better explanation. I was trying to give Pippa a little bit of credit, but you can snatch it away. Fuck you, Pippa (laughs) Hidwain. That is the the official stance of two United fans. In the 91st minute, DC getting the equalizer. Who else but Frederick? Brilliant! Uh, getting a long, long free kick uh, off ahead of a teammate. Brilliant heads it in. And uh, Hamid makes a fingertip save in the dying seconds of this game to keep DC in it and and get them a point. Next game uh, was LAFC versus Houston. They saw the 2-2 draw that Toronto and DC had played and were like, we can do one better. So this game ended 3-3. <laughs> <three, three. laughs> uh Christian Ramirez had left the bubble because his wife had given birth to their second child. So if if the rules, uh, if I'm remembering them correctly, he can now no longer come back into the bubble. Now, I wonder if they'll make an exception between the group and the knockout stages. Uh, I don't know if Christian would want to go back into the bubble. Yeah, but, uh... if I was him, I wouldn't. But uh, congratulations to him and Val as their daughter, Nova Rain. R-E-I-G-N, Sasha, shout out, <laughs> was born. Thank you, Chris. Christian. Yep. He's Christian's a fan I wonder of the podcast, if play, obviously. If, if, if Nova Rain and Rain will play against each other in the NWSL someday. No, they'll both play for F- <laughs> OL Rain. Come on. <laughs> By then, they'll be the new Rain, okay? Uh, all right. Uh, so let's, let's talk about Memo Rodriguez, who got something called a brace in this game. Can you guys explain to me in excruciating detail what that is? Please. <laughs> so a, a brace, as we've said before, Notch, I don't know how you keep forgetting, is two goals. Ah, uh, okay. It's, 
His first one comes uh, as he sets up at the top of the box. He has time to pick his corner. He takes the left, keeps it low, slots it right in. Uh, the second one, he gets up for rebound <laughs> with his dick, according to the notes. It's accurate. I stand by them. With his panilla. Yeah. <laughs> um, BWP had tied it up between the memo goals, so it was 1-1 one, one at one point. Yeah. Uh, at the end of first half, Darwin gets a free kick, and Albert Ellis puts it away. It was initially called off, but VR, VAR overturned it. So at the end of the first half, Houston was up 3-1, right? They should have won it. However, uh, second half LAFC, you can't sleep on them. Diego Rossi gets a beautiful goal. This one's just like a screamer uh, across the net. Uh, then Brian Rodriguez scores after a recycled free kick. Yeah, that was Brian Rodriguez's first goal for LAFC. And unfortunately for Houston, uh, they, they wear orange, which is also the cover, color of traffic cones, which is what their defense is. <laughs> it's almost too easy at this point. Come on, <laughs> do better. Uh, do better. Uh, still, Go ahead. Still a great game. Though. Yeah. Oh yeah, fantastic game. Do better on defense. Also, the theme of uh, LA Galaxy, who played <laughs> Portland uh, Timbers, and this game ending two one to the Timbers. Chicharito, the big story. Chicharito misses penalty, and Chicharito's like, "Hey guys, I scored a goal. What's this, huh?" That's what I think it sounds like. Chicharito is a kind of like a Pokemon, but not really. Chicharito. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I. Uh, I. Yeah. Okay. Chicho. Neither of them should be your starter, though. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Great. Terrific. Um. Yeah. Uh, had his penalty saved by Steve Clark. Um. Then Clark did the splits literally in midair and landed with the splits on the save of uh, Sasha Kleshin's follow up. Man, good job by him. Bad I for his panilla. Yeah, I would not. Like store, I don't care. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, both Portland goals from Ibabasi and Blanco come in the 59th and 66th minutes. Both on both goals, the Galaxy defense looking like traffic cones, uh, using your terminology, Caleb. Uh, Portland just running rings around players in the box. It was kind of funny to watch, almost, uh, unless you're a Galaxy fan. And then later, uh, Zuberich being sent off for second yellow, bumping a guy just outside the box. Uh, Gio Savarese then being interviewed on Fox, uh, Portland coach, who, by the way, with a mask, looks like Cobra Commander. It's pretty amazing. Um, badass dude. Like, he's got a stare. Uh, he, he's, he's talking to, to the Fox commentators, and then L.A. gets a goal right then. <laughs> and, again, they quickly cut away, and the commentators say, start saying something about a curse. Uh, fortunately for all of us, it's not curse, talking to coaches, and uh, the goal is called off. However, LA does manage to get their single goal in the 88th minute when Chicharito, not the Pokemon, manages to get a get a goal. Hey, good for him. That's his first goal in MLS, is it? It is. And his penalty was his first shot on target in MLS. Well, okay. Well, we know which one of those will remain as the conversation point about this game. So... <laughs> Uh, let's start talking about the Calvo Fire playing Seattle Sounders 2-1 to the Francisco Calvos out of Illinois. Uh, the, the final score. Sasha, what went wrong? I mean, I could go with my hot take as say that Seattle's trying to get out of this tournament as fast as possible. <laughs> the truth <laughs> is this. They're, they're just not looking good. There are multiple issues we could bring up about center backs and, and wingers. If you want to know more about that, read Sounder at Heart. 
however, Chicago scored first uh, in the 52nd minute, second half, Robert Barich. This is off a mistake from Ariaga, one of the center backs I just alluded to. Uh, he gets he gets a pass back and misses it. Barich picks his pocket and is able to score one-on-one with Fry. Uh, Sounders equalize in the 77th minute. JMO takes it up the left and he cuts back for Handwell Buana. And uh, Buana had just come in for Ibarra, if we're wondering what the Ibarra status was. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we were. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's good to mention that Olmsberg and Calvo were in the back line for this. For sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 84th minute, uh, Maurice Pineda scores. Birch forces a fingertip save, causing a corner. Pineda knocks it in for his first goal as a pro. Ball goes through the crowd. Pineda volleys it. And that's that. As we mentioned earlier, New York City FC losing 3-1 to Orlando at tonight's game. But we are going to cover that next week. Maybe. So at this Phil- point, it's time for us to take a... Oh, so there's a Philadelphia Turnley up one nothing on Miami. Woohoo! Woohoo! At this point, we're going to take a break and come back with Nippon Chopra to discuss USL. Welcome back to We Call It Soccer. We are still thinking about our favorite who's lining it anyway sketches. And I think the biggest comedy in U.S. soccer uh, at this moment, if, if, we had to, if we had to take that conversation about comedy into U.S. soccer, the fact that people are in the stands in stadiums in USL. And we're going to discuss that in a segment we call Friends in Low Places. In this segment, it's time to check in with our friends in low places, or rather, a friend, Nipun Chopra from Sock Takes, who is joining us to discuss the U.S. lower leagues and their response to COVID-19. Hey, Nipun, welcome to We Call It Soccer. Great to have you on the show. Great to be joining you guys. Um, I hope you guys have been healthy and your families have been well during our global pandemic. We've been trying to stay safe, but you know how it is. Like uh, many of the sports leagues, there was a lot of pressure to reopen. We call it soccer. Our patrons, our fans, <laughs> calling on us to provide them relief in this time of crisis. So here we are. Um, well yeah. Uh, you, you've appeared on the show uh, several times last year, giving us some updates yeah. on USL straight to the end of the season. But I don't think our listeners have had a intro from you about who you are, and particularly because it's going to be relevant in a second, what you do professionally. So, uh, I'm a full-time stripper. <laughs> Finally! And, uh, yes! <laughs> yeah. We taught soccer after dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, in my day job, I'm currently an assistant professor at a small liberal arts college uh, called DePaul University. Um, and, you know, just before that, I was a full-time researcher uh, my PhD is in neuroscience. Um, I study traumatic brain injury, and currently I'm studying uh, COVID-19 uh, with a research student. So that's my life outside of soccer. And in some ways, uh, soccer has always been my priority, but I guess neuroscience is kind of okay. <laughs> so now you, you are studying COVID as a neuroscience researcher. Is there, uh, are you studying like a particular aspect of COVID? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a protein called ACE2. Uh, and this is a protein that the virus binds to in order to get into the cell. 
And what I'm doing this summer is finding uh, ways by which that protein is regulated. Because if we can understand how that protein is regulated, we can regulate the vi whether or not the virus gets into the cell or not. And this, uh, this receptor, ACE2, is expressed all over the body. In the lungs, which is why this is a you know, disease, upper respiratory disease, but it's also expressed in the brain. So this protein is uh, also correlated with Alzheimer's disease. So it's a very interesting protein, and um, I've just started this project. Yeah. I will uh, chip in that when you follow people's personal accounts as part of your soccer follows, sometimes random stuff will jump into your feed. And over the last couple of months, I've been seeing journal articles about coronavirus pop into my feed, and they're typically from you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> thank you, Soccer Twitter, for bringing me this exposure. Um, I will also just give a personal shout. You know, some people ask, like, you're young. Why aren't you, like, out there doing stuff? Like, take a little risk, young man, you know, whatever. And this, what you just talked about, I saw that there was a, a guy, an anchor for CNN Business, who also talked about how recovering from coronavirus, he's become very clumsy. And that's what I thought of when you just talked about it, the fact that it affects the brain. So there's stuff, I, I think you will agree, that there's stuff we just don't understand yet about COVID. And it's, I, I feel like, personally, for me, I just want to be safe, as safe as possible. I have a long life, hopefully, ahead of me. <laughs> hopefully, after COVID vaccine comes out next year, I don't get hit by a bus. It was all for nothing, my last words. <laughs> Let's see how... We'll see how your Patreon subscribers treat you. We'll know how long you'll live after. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but anyway, so let, let's move on to talking about how COVID has affected USL because we, we've on the spot talked a little bit about MLS. Uh, we were recording when the NBA announced it shut down and MLS and all the other sports leagues were kind of pushed into doing the same thing. How did that go that down was for you? three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like yeah, it. For sure. So, so 30 years ago when USL closed, how did that, how did that happen? How, what, what was the thought process? Was it quick enough did what, what what went down yeah i think with the uh it happened pretty quickly with usl as well we had one week uh, one game week um and uh you know the best thing about that was i got to watch my team put four goals past tim howard in that, oh, nice. uh, game week. So that, that was pretty great um and after that once the news broke from nba i think you guys will agree basically what happened was that everyone was talking about this thing. Some people were taking it seriously. People in the NBA were joking about it. And then the first positive case happened with that guy who, like, I don't, I don't know anything about basketball, but it's the guy that I remember basically uh, <laughs> rubbed his hand over some, some uh, was it a... Was it a yeah, uh, it was all the journalist mics, or? all of them. He came back, yeah. The, the microphones, right. yeah, <laughs> press conference. And then he tested positive. And then people were like, oh, okay, wait, this is not a joke. And then once the NBA... Uh, cancel the season, it happened very quickly for the rest of the leagues across the world. And it's the same with USL. I think USL was waiting to see how this was going. And once MLS said what they did and the other American leagues said what they did, USL is not one. Let's just say USL is not a league to stand on their own in any way. So they're not going to go against uh, what MLS decides, for example. So. And in terms of then moving through COVID, what were some of the major developments within the league, its negotiations with the players? Like, how did, for example, the restart conversations start begin? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of stuff went down. Uh, a lot of questionable behavior from USL happened in the interim between closing down and uh, starting back up. Um, 
one of those things that happened was the USL actually tried to force the way MLS did this too, by the way, uh, tried to force the USL players to take pay cuts. Um, and they tried to force massive pay cuts. And, you know, when we think of soccer, at least when I think of soccer players, we often think of the big salaries that you have in European leagues and some MLS players as well get really good salaries. But when you're in USL, you're talking about a totally different level of lower level of magnitude of salaries. We know of players that are playing basically for virtually nothing for contracts that they've just started that will only be uh, will only be sanctioned if they perform well for six months. So it's basically like a you know, a contract that doesn't pay them anything right now, may pay in the future. You know, basically an internship. Uh, there are players who have paid decently well, you know, high six, uh, not high six figures, high five mm -hmm. figures. Uh, and and we have everything in between. There are players that get paid like $1,000 a month or $500 a month. So to ask those players to take a big pay cut, you know, un unanimously the fans came out against it. And it caused USL to take a step back. And along with that, we had this development of the USL Players or, uh, Association, the USLPA, which you pointed out, Nash, who basically, for the first time in lower division soccer, were able to take a stance against owners, take a stance against leagues, and say, we will not accept this. This is what we want, and let's go back and forth. So yeah. that's kind of the framework of what This happened. PA was formed last year, am I right? And yeah. I, I yeah. recall when... Minnesota United was in NASL. NASL had attempted to form a players' association, the first one for the league. What is dead? Right. <laughs> no, it's now the North American Soccer Lawsuit. Let's be honest. That's what NASL stands for. Uh, they had tried to form a, a PA, and the commissioner at the time, I think it was Bill Peterson, still had threatened the the players, basically saying there will be cuts, there will be this, there will be that, kind of doom and gloom talk and so it never quite come through on, again on brand for film correct music. correct very yeah, much so yeah. so now yeah. just just taking a quick sidetrack because i think it, it is relevant to this discussion was the yeah. the formation of the uslpa kind of a simple like straightforward thing or did it take a lot of kind of effort it took a lot of effort and it's still by the way the the bargaining agreement still is being negotiated so you know it's not it's still not a done deal, and it's a process. It was a process of three, four years. It took players who retired, but were close enough to having retired to know some of the questionable stuff that happens. Uh, for I'll give you an example: Tommy Heineman, a player that most recently had played for FC Cincinnati, and previously played for Tampa Bay Rowdies. He's played, you know, in the NASL, USL, uh, San Francisco Deltas, all over the place, and he experienced a very poor. Uh, handling of his contract by FC Cincinnati to the point that he sued and got what he deserved. So here's a player that kind of recognized how leagues and teams can take and knows can take advantage of players. So he's one of the three main guys behind the USL Players Association. Um, and, you know, it took a while, but it's eventually come to the point that they do have a voice. And what's amazing to see is how united they are. Uh, and have been because I think especially when you have a heterogeneous set of thousand play, play uh, paid professionals, you can have conflicting interests. But they have come out in strength, came out in solidarity at every step of the way, and you know it's a huge, 
huge uh, credit to the organization. And it, it spans both the championship and League One, right? Correct. Okay. Yes, now it does. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let, let's get back to reopening this uh, this league. So, th- so they negotiated with the players. The players were able to rebuff that awful initial yeah. uh, pay cut piece. Um, we're talking, I believe, in May at this point, right? Yes, we're talking in May, and uh, the league then came back with another set of uh, absurd requirements that basically said they would only get two weeks of severance if the uh, if if things went you know if the season was canceled for COVID, uh, and then we are in early to mid June, and we start hearing more confirmation that they are coming to a, a a central meeting point and. Jeff Reuter, who of course you guys know well, uh, was the one that broke the story of eventually what is in their agreement. And essentially they've come to an agreement that the players will not get a pay cut, which is great, and that you know they will agree to certain things in the length of contract for next year. They took out the bit about insurance. That's a whole other conversation that we could get into some other time about the issues of insurance in lower division soccer. Uh, but Anyway, the, the long story short, we are at this moment where the players and the league are on the same page in terms of uh, how they will handle the obvious financial crisis that is coming. Um, and one of the good things that happened, I should point this out, is a lot of people, myself included, have been talking about ways by which the league should be helping the owners offset some of the costs. And uh, there's another larger conversation about how the, the money within the league is being taken out by Neuroc, which is the ownership behind USL. And again, we can go into a details if you want, but we don't have to. Long story short, there's uh, what the league did was they did help the ownership put aside some, uh, did help the ownership with a little bit of money influx from the league to the ownership uh, to help them offset some of the obvious costs that uh, losses that are coming because of COVID. Okay. And uh, I will also mention New York as the organization that took over USL. And that takeover was the one that led to the, the great schism where exactly. the Catholics guess, broke yeah. away from the Orthodox. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> happened in the third century AD. It's been a while. But yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that, that was that was NASL, USL, the break. Um, still same ownership group. That is a discussion we should go into at some point. We should, we should have you back and talking about uh, some of the larger yeah, issues sure. in the league. But um, you've decided personally, based on how these discussions went with reopening and the format that the league chose not to watch the USL, not to support their uh, old reopening of play. Or MLS. Right. Or any American soccer. Or NWSL. Uh, or whatever UPSL is. So, um, yeah. So, so I, I'll say, um, so there, the re, I'll tell you, so basically you're asking me the reasons, right, Natch? I'm guessing that's what you're asking, why I decided that. So my reasons are as follows. MLS's model, I think at this point, it's pretty clear it was a bad idea to take a bunch of players down to Florida, especially when <laughs> yeah. you see the numbers in yeah. Florida, right? There's, uh, the latest test uh, case case positivity rate test positivity rate is 22 percent basically that means one out of five people that are being tested in Florida right now are testing positive for covid 19 a fifth of all the cases in, in America are from Florida the new daily cases are from Florida so 
you know, this is pretty clear at this point. I think I think there will be revisionism. I think if cases, if things go get better and there are not as many positive cases for two weeks, I think the narrative will change and people will pretend that it was okay and there were just individual errors in the MLS rubble is what I call it, so <laughs> the bubble. Um, but the truth is this was a poor decision by MLS and they should be criticized for it, uh, in my opinion, unequivocally. And to the credit of soccer reporters in the last two weeks, they have criticized MLS in the past two weeks. I wish that criticism had come earlier before the players were actually in Florida, but that's another conversation. In terms of USL, they are not using the hub model. They're using a model where players or teams are playing in their home stadium, stadia, uh, and they are traveling to away stadia. So, you know, we, we have this scenario where leagues are, uh, teams are going from one, uh, one state where there's a horrible breakout to another state where there might not, might, might not be a horrible breakout, but they're traveling in buses, they are traveling, uh, they're staying in hotels. You know, there is no way to prevent these players from getting COVID-19. And uh, the testing modality for MLS and uh, for USL is not as good as MLS. Um, and, you know, every, in every scenario right now, when you, have a glo- when you have the pandemic at the level it is in the United States, there are some things that should be open. I'm not one of those that thinks everyone needs to be sitting home right now. You know, I, I know that's how I've been presented on Twitter and that's fine. But the truth is I understand that things have to return to some semblance of normal. However, a fucking professional soccer league is not that requirement to me. Okay, going to the grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. You need to get food. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. You go to the grocery store. Grocery store should not be closed. But a professional soccer game, bringing fans into a professional soccer game during a pandemic, to me, shows a, a, a level of callousness that, as you can tell from my voice, I'm really, really annoyed by. Uh, and I think it, it'll go down in history, at least in American soccer history, as one of the worst ideas, which was to bring fans into stadium. It's uh, into stadium. It's insane. before before we get to the the fans in stadium part, because I want to get into that in in, in a little bit more detail. Um, yeah. When these players are traveling, so they're exclusively traveling by bus in USL. Is that correct? Uh, almost exclusively. So it's like a five. If it's a if it's a bus. Uh, after I don't remember exactly, but I think it's five hours is the threshold. If it's more oh, than man. five hour travel, then it's a flight. Ooh. However, what they have done is it, they've regionalized it. So there's no more travel from Florida to, you know, uh, California, anything like that. Uh, but there, there are more, it's more regionalized. Is it commercial flights? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. It's definitely not private flights, mate. It's US. Right, <laughs> I was going to say, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, and yeah. and when but they're private buses, unless they though, put like... them unless they put them on a fucking uh, balloon and just... <laughs> on a zeppelin, <laughs> are uh, are are the meals being provided by a reputable source when they're on the road, or like how is? I'm just kind of curious about the specifics because this seems pretty dicey to me. Yeah, so I read the there's a 50 page manual. I read it the other day, and the food is supposed to be provided. It's supposed to be individually packed. There shouldn't be any buffet-style food. And, and, and you know, to I'm always criticizing USL. Uh, but to USL's credit, they have thought through some of the uh, some issues. Uh, there's no doubt about it. They've put thought into the protocol. It's not that they've let it all just be like, you figure out on your own, okay? Which is basically what NISA is doing. They're just telling people to figure, leagues to figure out on their own. Fun. Uh, regions to figure out on their own. 
Um, USL has put some thought into this. They do have a protocol. But the, what, I, what I keep coming back to is there's no way to protect these players from hotel staff. And they're going to go to grocery stores. They're going to go to places. And they're going to be in close contact with each other in locker rooms. And they'll be in hotels together. It is a, it is a great opportunity for a super spreader event. It really is yeah. a, a sport, a, lo a locker room. And uh, I just don't understand. Well, I understand it's all about money, uh, but I don't understand putting people's lives at risk, I guess. Yeah. Um, I want to also add it to our topic to discuss after we're done talking about USL NISA, which I call NISA because the puns are too much easier that way. So our listeners might be more <laughs> familiar with that. Um, but... Uh, Okay, so, so fans in the stadium. Caleb, you were the one who brought this to my attention, that there were going to be fans in the stadium. Um, and it's not just one. I thought it was going to be like, oh, Louisville's opening a new stadium. Like, all right. Just, just one fan with a megaphone behind the goalkeeper. <laughs> See, that's a good idea. That should happen. Right. They can, they can of course. That'd be yeah, okay. Officially, the stadium's <laughs> open. There was one guy there. The crowd was not very responsive because it wasn't there. But no, that's not what happened. Uh, <laughs> multiple stadiums opened up this past weekend in USL. Yeah. Uh, we've seen that NWSL, um, there have been some questions asked about, hey, can we do this? And the PA has so far, as I know, shut that down. Um, but... Uh, can, can we talk a little bit about how that decision went down? Was there a domino effect? Like, did one team come out and say, yeah, we're doing it? Uh, or or was it a joint decision? Caleb, you want to take that? I, I can answer. Um, I think I can't remember for the first team to uh, announce that was either Louisville or um, Real Monarchs. I don't remember. Do you mean to get fans in the stadium? Fans the, stadium. the decision was was unanimous. The decision was unanimous. unanimous. Okay. unanimous. I, I, I well, the decision to come back to playing was twenty uh, was was twenty two to thirteen. Okay. Okay, so thirteen teams didn't want to come back, but the decision to bring fans into the stadium was once they decided that we're playing. The decision to come back to with fans was unanimous, and I'll tell you why that is in a second if you want, but. Yes, uh, please. Sorry, Caleb. I cut no, you off. Uh, so I think the first couple of games that was were this past weekend with fans in Louisville and in Real Salt Lake and also Oklahoma City as well. Where the at least the pictures I saw from this past weekend with fans, not really social distancing, not with masks on, and in the case of Oklahoma City, uh, within six feet of a player without masks on. So, those are what I've seen. Um, I just, what are the guidelines that the stadium put out there, if there were any? Or was it just like, hey, you guys are adults, you can do it? So, uh, in terms of guidelines, uh, it's, it's whatever you want. Okay, Jesus. so some clubs have said, some clubs have said masks are mandatory. I would say one club has said that. The others have said masks are mandatory when you're moving through the stadium, but not mandatory when you're in your seat. Some have said masks are not required. So there's a complete free-for-all in that sense. And coming back to our original question, this is the reason, guys, why they're playing with fans. Okay? The, so let me put it this way. The reason Premier League, Bundesliga came back is because there's massive TV rights. Right? They can, they can afford to play without fans in perpetuity. If you look at the finance of Manchester United, 8% of their income is 
actually it's less than that. It's like whatever. It's a very small percentage of their income is ticket sales. The rest is all media rights and all that stuff, right? Right. Similar with Bundesliga. Same with Serie A. That's where they're back. Somewhat similar with MLS because they still have a good, fairly good TV deal mm-hmm. well, in terms of American soccer. USL's ESPN deal is garbage. Okay, they're making no, almost no money from that. The only way the clubs can generate revenue, because now, remember, if they're playing, they have to have pay hosting fees in the stadium. They have to pay for travel if they're going away. They have to pay for hotels if they're going away. So now they have to recoup that revenue, right? So the, how do they do that? They have to get fans in the stadium. That is one of the biggest reasons I wanted USL to cancel the season and pay the players and just take a loss on the season. Because as soon as they started to come back into the season, it meant they're going to get, they'll have to, they're taking on more expenditure by playing, which means they have to recoup that expenditure by bringing fans into the stadium in absence of a of a TV deal that generates any reasonable revenue. Right. I have a question about and, that. Uh, uh, like, aren't they concerned yeah. about liability? Like, you say you, like, like, I mean, we have seen examples of, like, what's already of happening to teams in NWSL and MLS, and the whole team has to drop out. When you have fans in the stadium, what's going to happen when there's, like, a, like, that gets traced back to being a central outbreak? I mean... So this is a great question, and I was uh, I was in a Twitter conversation with Professor Stephen Bank, who's a lawyer, um, legal person uh, on soccer Twitter about soccer Twitter, and he basically said that there is some recourse there for so say there is a uh, super spreader event, right? That's basically super spreader event is when you have one person infecting ten to fifteen or more, seventy hundred people, mm-hmm. okay, at one place. That is easy to get a, uh, you know, if, if that happened to me, right, uh, I was hanging out with Notch, which I don't know why I would do, but say I was hanging out with Notch and he gets like 50 of my friends sick in a stadium. Yeah, that's a super super event. That's easy to litigate. But what's more likely, you guys, is I go to the stadium and two or three people in the stadium are sick. The next time I go, another two or three people get sick, right? So it's very hard to find causality in the legal sense in those sorts of events. And that is why this this concern that even I had, I was like, there has to be liability here, just like you, Sasha. But it seems that from a legal sense, unless it's a super spreader event, there's really nothing that's going to happen. I think it's... because. Go ahead. No, nothing. I wasn't going to say anything important. It was going to be a stupid joke. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing on this podcast. It's a stupid joke. They're all great jokes. This, this whole podcast is a stupid joke, really speaking. It hasn't found its punchline yet. But anyway, um, I, I was going to say that I think the way we look back at this is going to be somewhat framed by the most dire thing that happens that we're able to yeah. trace back. If, if we have a player who isn't able to continue their career, for example, uh, God forbid something worse happens, but like that's what's going to be the frame that we look at it. This And if, if we aren't able to trace anything back, like, you know, there could be like, who knows, Al Lang could be, I shouldn't take names, a stadium somewhere, <laughs> hypothetically. A dot a, stadium. <laughs> right. A stadium in Tampa Bay. <laughs> Anywhere in the U.S., it could be a it could be a spreader event, and if that city has a bad enough outbreak, and or if the contact tracing is crap enough, we won't know that the the effect of what's happened, and it'll just be kind of cumulatively worked in. Because again, like you were saying, that our country's response to this is such shit that you you can't really point to USL and MLS and be like, 
you're going to cause more problems than everybody else because everybody else is also causing a lot of problems. And so I think what I fear is the lessons that should be learned from some of these experiences. Like, for example, Caleb, you were talking about that picture that came out of OKC where the guy is taking a player, taking a corner, two people sitting without masks, you know, maybe just out of six feet. I don't know. Maybe they're shouting at him. Fans shout at corners and, and we won't know what happened. Uh, from those experiences, Louisville. There was there was a picture that went around. Uh, there's a great picture of Louisville's first TIFO in their stadium. Congratulations, Louisville City, uh, for giving us a yeah. picture showing just how bad the social distancing was. <laughs> <laughs> and it's scary to me. Uh, maybe you can answer it, but I look at the rakes in those stadiums, and if I'm if tomorrow someone came to my house and said like Notch. Here's a gun to your head. You got to go to a soccer game right now and be in the crowd, you know, and uh, I don't know who would be that kind of a low-key, like, <laughs> kidnapper. Don, but... Don, Don Garber. I didn't know Don Garber. Notch, Notch I'll, see, I'll see you tomorrow, Notch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but if, I, if I had to do that, I would be standing at the top of that rake because if you're at the bottom, I feel like it's just that's how the air flows. That's how, like, the, you know, the air drop. Like, am I just imagining shit or is that, like, somewhat, I don't know. So there's some truth to what you're saying. It depends, honestly. The the travel the so the what you're thinking about is the droplets, right? Or you're thinking you're either thinking of the carriage uh, carrying the virus on droplets, or you're thinking of virus being carried through the air. You're thinking of one of those two things, right? So the droplets, if uh, which is what we believe is actually happening right now, which is that your you sneeze, you cough, those would really only travel, you know, ten feet. Okay, even if it's windy, they won't travel that far. But if and we're right now. Uh, the the field is struggling with this question: Can the virus actually travel what we call an aerosol form, which is basically being just dragged and just floating in the wind, like a fart, right? And we are still figuring out the answer to that. The answer is probably not. It's uh, the answer is probably that it's not a big part of the transmission, but theoretically, it's still possible. So, but I share your concern, which is that if you're in a space, even if you're outdoors. If you have people around you who are yelling, which is what happens in a soccer game, right? No one's like, good girl. <laughs> Even fucking golf has like, yelling these days, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every day, my, so, every day I tell myself I'll be like that, but it lasts maybe 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly. It's impossible because you obviously the reason you're there is because you're swept up in those emotions. That's the reason we watch soccer, right? So people are yelling, which is a great way to spread this virus. And if you don't have masks, if they're not wearing masks, you know, you, it's very easy to to get someone else sick. And I just were, you know, my thing with this whole pandemic stateside has been that people, maybe this is, a, I was calling a misanthrope recently, and I think it's true. I think people trust other people way too much. You know, like people think that other people are responsible. I, I don't. I think most people are trash. And I think most people don't wash their hands as often as they should. They're definitely not being responsible with, you know, wearing a mask when they go to a restaurant to take out, to get, pick up, uh, take out food. So I'm always thinking that people around me are possibly infected, right? So, and I think, in fact, uh, who was it? I think Dr. Celine Gallander, who's, of course, Grant Wall's wife, said this uh, very recently. She was like, just assume everyone's infected. Yeah. You need to live your life right now as if just assuming people are... Well, I mean, I, I don't want to, like, drag you into this because you've had the same experience growing up that I have. But I'm going to refer just to growing yeah. up in India, which is that, 
yeah. you know, in in a in a tropical climate in a developing country, this stuff happens, right? Like there are, I mean, more diseases all around you, oh, yeah. and and there's just yeah. more kind of even I would say dust. There's just more dust, so you can see <laughs> yeah. see the flow of stuff. And keeping clean is a more like visual element. I feel like so like, yeah. and and I grew up with two doctors in the household, so like, I mean, who had to wash their hands after they came home the amount of cleanliness i grew up with was huge and i feel like that's i, I wouldn't guess that based on your household <laughs> <laughs> no problem with zoom huh damn that's why i get i get a low room rate score uh, sorry you sorry you said just i did there. i did but uh but but you know growing up like that i think you get a certain sense of this like awareness and i feel like this is the first time in the united states i've really had to put those skills back into effect i think that i should have had them either way because i think a lot of it isn't like stuff you can see but it's it's all around you uh and and but now we're seeing that just the irresponsibility of other people it's kind of it's it's more obvious you know that there are people who went to buffets while sick before this we just didn't like it wasn't like yeah but bro, I so I totally agree with you, and I'm so glad you brought up the India thing because um, do do you still have family in India? Not you do, right? So you know what the lockdown. My my entire family still in India. The lockdown in India is an actual lockdown, like people haven't left their homes in months, right? That's an actual lockdown, not what's happening here, where you know people are inconvenienced by wearing a mask, yeah, right? That's you know. I can still go for a run without a mask. I can still go for a walk. I can go to the grocery store. I don't. I. I really think it's such a such a privileged thing that people have here that they don't recognize what life is like in other parts of the world. Because I'm serious. My parents have been stuck in the same apartment for four months. The only time they've left is, I think they've left the apartment three times in four months, right? So it's just a totally different frame of reference and. You know, your concern for other people, trying to be a citizen of the world, citizen of your community, citizen of the country, only exists as long over here, only exists as long as it doesn't affect you or negatively yeah. hurt you even a little bit. Wearing a mask, a fucking mask, is a problem. So, anyway, I was going to say, I uh, envy your parents. I know it, it sucks to be on lockdown, right? But that like that level of vigilance gives you peace of mind, even if you're stuck, you know, in a house for three months. Yeah. Whereas you mentioned like the alternative is you have to be so vigilant, thinking everybody has it. And I go to work every day. I have to take transit. I'm like I'm like Same. paranoid, despite all the precautions I take. That's not going to be enough because I you know yeah. I work with a at grocery stores. So. Right. Exactly, and, and like you said, it, it's because it's out of your control. It, all it takes is one jackass right. who doesn't care about you right because you're doing the right thing you're wearing a mask because the mask isn't going to protect you it's protecting them so if they don't wear a mask they're not affording you that same level of respect and community and care and it's incredibly frustrating and and to to kind of just bring it back to soccer for a second uh right we were we were talking about soccer a while back uh it's i think the same thing that we're seeing in the stadium and i think my decision about whether to go back to the stadium has that same cynical aspect i could take all the precautions in the world caleb could take all the precautions in the world sasha could but then uh maybe former podcast host skyle eliason is a dick (laughs) he's not a dick he's a great guy i I bet i bet it'll be I bet it's West. <laughs> you know, West Berdine <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, decides yeah. to just 
do whatever he wants. Uh, and, and, and that kind of screws you, right? And I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to kind of um, to, to, to justify that. Uh, I'll just make one final point and then maybe we can uh, see if there's any final points we want to talk about with USL. Uh, in public policy school, one of the things that one of my professors told me is whenever you're studying a major policy or public reaction to it, always think back to the ideals of this nation when it was founded. And individualism, we were talking in the context of healthcare policy, which is kind of adjacent to what we're discussing right now. Individualism is baked into the American experience, you know, like whether it comes to guns, whether it comes to uh, where you can buy a house or whatever. Um, and that, I think, is manifesting itself in people's responses to this compared to places like India, where which have more of a communal kind of value and idea. Collectivistic society. Right, Europe as well, where, you know, you can see it in that kind of their attitudes towards social welfare and all of this other stuff in a more mainstream sense. But even on a on a day-to-day level with responses to COVID, people just want to do whatever they want. And unfortunately, the lack, nobody can be collect individually informed about this to an adequate degree. We can collectively have some, some common sense. But uh, anyway, we are moving way off topic. Are there any, any other things with, uh, with USL that we want to ask Nippon about? Uh, maybe, maybe a short conversation about NISA, NISA? One question. Do you think the USL plan to finish whatever games they have planned, think they will achieve that or think that they'll have to call it off for whatever reason or, or they will or not? Uh, I mean, the answer to this, again, is is straying a little bit away from soccer. And it's the fact that I think, I think the way things are going, it's very, very unlikely that the season will finish. Uh, well, I should say that differently. It shouldn't finish. Right. Okay. I think the people in USL are greedy enough that they might push it through, uh, but it shouldn't finish. Um, I think the numbers across the country are dangerously high, and it, even though we are doing better in the uh, now, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but the Republicans have started throwing uh, the number of deaths in our face now because they're lower. Uh, it's interesting where they weren't talking about those when, you know, 8,000 people were dying uh, every day. Uh, but I will say this: um, the you know we are what we're not what we're learning about a lot is the impact this thing has on people that survive, and people and even some people who are mildly symptomatic, and that's the part of the story that we don't understand very well because it's so brand new, right? We we are uh, the people who first got this disease have are six months since they recovered first people who got this disease are six months since they recovered, right? So we just don't know enough about the impact of this disease. And we are learning, recently we learned about uh, the neuro the neuro, uh, impact of this disease uh, for people who recover. So it's a developing and continuing story. And it has been very disappointing to see how callously uh, the leagues have taken player health. Yeah. I think with MLS, probably a lot will also depend on how Florida's governor reacts, which depending on how you look at it, MLS made a great or horrible bet on that. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, so can, can you give us like five minutes on NISA real quick? Just telling us what's going on sure. with NISA, of course, to listeners who are like, well, what is that? Uh, you know, the, the follow up, the great follow up to NASL, NISA, a uh, few teams, Detroit, Chattanooga, etc. So anyway. Yeah, so NISA, the National Independent Soccer Association, 
uh, quick restating uh, of what's happened there. They were started by uh, Peter Wilt and Jack Cummins. Jack Cummins passed away. Uh, Peter then, of course, left and started Forward Madison, the most, I would say, the most beloved uh, team in America, <laughs> professional soccer team in America. Um, and it was taken over by Club Nine, who uh, are, how can I say this without getting <laughs> sued? Uh, the thoughts of Nipu and Chopra do not reflect their thoughts and yeah. believe yeah, exactly. so. Your <laughs> thoughts out there to the fans. <laughs> <laughs> Very off-brand. Uh, uh, questionable people, questionable human beings. So uh, they have decided, what they've done, uh, Club Nine, is they have reconfigured this thing and there are a couple of very established independent teams, and you name them now, Chattanooga FC, Detroit City FC, and a couple of others, and they've roped in a couple of other UPSL, NPSL teams, and they've made five regions, and they're playing amongst each other in a tournament format. Uh, this It started this weekend. Beyond that, if you go to the NISA website and look for the code, actually, you know, I kind of want you know, it'll do it justice if I read it out. Because I think this is one of those things that if I try to paraphrase it, it's never going to be as good, and I'm going to disappoint you. So I'm just going to go to the website, if you'll bear with me, to read out what their COVID protocol is. Uh, it's called the Independent Cup, which is an exciting name. Here we go. Found it. It'll be quick, I thought. Uh, so, blah, blah, blah. First of its kind, Cup of Independent Cubs, teams from multiple leagues. Here is where we get to it. I hope you guys have 20 minutes because it'll take a while. We will be taking COVID-19 precautions, including playing behind closed doors where restrictions apply. All of the details are agreed upon at the regional level among the clubs. Done. Nice. That's the COVID plan. <laughs> very yeah, independent. So, you know, it's a uh, very, <laughs> very independent. So, uh, yeah, so that's where we are with Nisa. Um, you know, by the way, the one thing that they had uh, in the interim that do really did go for them is Cosmos joining Nisa. Because that was the whole thing that they wasn't going to happen because as you as you correctly pointed out, Notch, NASL, the lawsuit part was basically run by Rocco Camiso, owner of New York Cosmos. So that whole thing. But now that New York Cosmos is in Nisa, I think it gives them a little more financial and... Uh, and uh, financial stability and some some braggadociousness yeah. in the world of uh, american soccer yeah so we'll 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 follow them new segment coming to next week's episode about what can we call it <laughs> nice soccer or something i don't know nice there we soccer. go uh okay well nipple we've kept you way too long uh we appreciate you joining us we will check in with you again soon i would like that can I, can I say yeah. something? Because I feel like I've been super negative. Can I say something uh, on an uplifting tone? Because I always, when I come on these shows, I always talk about how shit is really bad. But I want to leave you with an up... With, with sure, I can edit it out okay. and post it. The okay. quintessential human delusion here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take out, take out this bit and post. Okay, so this is what I want to say. So I know stuff is really bad. And I know stuff seems like it's not, it's unprecedented, but it's not. We've been through this before. Um, you know, 1918 pandemic was way worse than this. Uh, estimates are that 100 million people were were affected by H1N1 in 1918. Okay, and we we recovered from it. Life went on. Community went on. We rebuilt. Uh, we've faced other pandemics, other flu pandemics, other coronavirus pandemics. The MERS, uh, sorry, not the pandemic, epidemic. The MERS epidemic, uh, you know, had had a fatality rate of 10 percent, which is a close cousin of SARS-CoV-2. 
So we got lucky with this virus, if anything, right? And I want to leave us with that realization that things will get better. We are closer to a vaccine. There's a study coming out tomorrow that's looking at some of the results of the Moderna vaccine. Uh, we have remdesivir already, which is a drug that is uh, very efficacious against uh, uh, viral replication. We have other drugs in the mix. Uh, if you believe the president, you can ingest, you know, Clorox. So there, there are ways to deal with this virus, and I want us to have hope. And uh, you do know, not ingest Clorox, right. despite what you hear on this podcast. Shida, you be light up your butt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stick it up uh, one of your orifices. Uh, all right. Well, Nippon, thank you for joining us on We Call It Soccer. We shall talk to you again yes, thank you. soon. Thank you so much. What a terrific conversation we just had with Nippon. I went way longer than I expected. I was wearing a sweater for it uh, for <laughs> absurd reasons. Uh, I turn off the AC in my room when I record, and that conversation went out about three times as long as I expected it. So I regretted that because I couldn't take the damn sweater off. I got headphones on, you know, I didn't want to be like, Nippon, I can't hear you for like, because he was telling us so much good stuff that I didn't even want to miss 20, 30 seconds of it. Hope you enjoyed that as well. Let's uh, move into a segment that we call The Ludicrous Display. Ray, he's kicked the ball. <laughs> now the ball's over there. The thing about the Premier League is that they always try to walk in. And in this segment, we talk about the latest from the United Kingdom, Caleb Yo. What happened in the UK this week? Um, first off, uh, the most recent news, uh, the Man City Champions League ban has been lifted. They were previously facing a two-year ban for who um, was not cooperating with authorities about their financial fair play. And then, so that was rescinded, and then, but they were given a $10 million fine, which to the Man City owners is like me paying a penny in a fine. It's nothing to them. So, really, no punishment whatsoever. And yeah, yeah, you can you can listen to an in depth perspective on this in the Football Weekly podcast, where they got a New York Times reporter and Barney Ronay from uh, the Guardian to discuss uh, this whole situation. Yeah, they're much smarter than we are about this matter. Um, unfortunately, also in England this past week, um, before the game of at uh, Aston Villa and Crystal Palace, which ended two thousand two, Aston Villa. Uh, star player for Crystal Palace, uh, Wilfred Zaha, posted some screenshots from his Instagram of racist um, messages sent to him from an account. Um, the, I think it was Midlands Police announced after the game that they had in, in, uh, investigated the uh, claim and the account and have had arrested a 12-year-old boy. Um, I would argue that his parents should also be arrested because that uh, behavior is learned and that I think is a form of child abuse. But unfortunately, also after the Sheffield United game, David McDoldrick, who scored two goals against Chelsea, um, posted similar messages from a different account that he received on Instagram. So this is a still something that black players face every, everywhere in the game and if you do that anything that's fine you can go fucked right off yeah um some responses to this saying that it's time and this was in response to a tweet from tyron mears uh mings uh that uh tyron mings very different person from tyron mears uh tyron mings tweeting that uh twitter should require verification of identity to have an account 
that getting some traction on podcasts I listen to and uh, Twitter. I will say that that's really difficult because Twitter and other social media can sometimes be the only way that dissidents in certain countries can get the word out about things that are happening in their nations. And if you start requiring identification to create an account, you're cutting those people off at best and you're providing a way for authoritarian governments to find out who is talking about them and, and whistleblowing on them. So some very complicated issues at play about uh, anonymity and social media. I think we can agree, though, that social media companies can do better. Uh, there have to be ways to figure out that you're DMing abuse to people and reacting to it faster than you know professional soccer players. If pros are getting it, you know there are other people also getting it too. So uh, anyway, w- uh, any other stuff from England that you'd like to talk about, Caleb? A um, couple of games that are important for the top four. Um Sheffield beat Chelsea 3 0. Uh, David McDoldrick, who was mentioned earlier, scored his first two goals for the, his first two Premier League goals for Sheffield in this game. Um, fantastic moment for him. Manchester United tied Southampton 2 2. Bournemouth beat Leicester in the shock of the year so far in Premier League 4 1. And Tottenham beat Arsenal 2 1. Sasha, your thoughts? Um, my actual thoughts are going to be unrelated to Tottenham because there's some sad news coming out of that, not related to the game. Uh, the brother of Tottenham defender Serge Aria was shot dead uh, in Toulouse on Monday, and the team made a statement about it. Uh, I am an Arsenal fan, but my throw the rivalry aside when something like this uh, happens. Obviously, the death of a sibling is very traumatic, and my heart goes out to him. Well said. Yeah. Um, this past weekend, also, Norwich was officially relegated from the Premier League. Um, they've been relegated a record five times more than any other team from the Premier League. Yeesh. Well, I guess as a, you know, the the renowned poets at uh, Chambawamba told us in their hit poem, dub thumping, very profound. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You are never going to keep me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. And you are never going to keep me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You are never going to keep me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. And you are never going to keep me down. I believe Norwich City, the exemplification of those beautiful, profound words. Um, and and Norwich fans exemplifying the drinking the whiskey drink and the cider drink and all the other things. The lager drink, the vodka drink. In the good times and the best of times. Oh, Danny boy. Danny boy, Danny boy. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, oh, okay. It's uh, Maybe I should do more dramatic readings of poems I like on this podcast. Oh my god! <laughs> all right, all right, you guys. We have we have been with each other today for four hours so far. Um, we should and it get the shows. Uh, yeah, yeah, this episode to a close. I will say this is the first time in my memory that we haven't done the they don't call it soccer, some do those segment. Because there's always something to talk about from the rest of the world. But this week, nope. We're just going to end the show. So can you tell the good people where they can find you on Twitter? I'm at Taylson716. Um, shout out to this, the band Tectonics uh, for these on Bustless. It's our theme music. You can find them on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, and Facebook. Also... Little mini plug here from my best friend, uh, who's the best man at my wedding, Brian Stoffel. He has a podcast with his friend Chad called Miss West Midwestern Nerds. So it's Midwestern and Nerds pushed together. They share an end, and they just started. So if you like comic books and superhero movies and 
nerdy things, listen to that. You can find me at PickupLine on Twitter. That's L-I-O-N. You can find me at LockStockSpock if you so choose. I don't tweet from there very much. I tweet mostly, along with Caleb, on at to United Fans, uh, where you should follow us. And uh, shout out to our league commissioner tier patron, Eric Olson, for supporting the show. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you supporting Hi, the Dan. show. And thank you again to all of our patrons uh, as well. Please tell your friends to listen to this podcast. We always appreciate expanding our listener base. With that, we will bid you... Goodbye and return in seven days. Take it easy, everybody. I love you, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brother? Brother! (laughs) Oh, brother, we're out, though.